Um, my name's Kristen. If you don't know me, I met David and Crystal when I was 13. Um, when I was 18, Crystal led me to the Lord. When I was around 21, David gave me my first job in ministry in Middletown, Ohio, and they haven't got rid of me yet. So uh, currently, I am a pastor, a discipleship pastor at a church that we planted in Westchester, Ohio called Anthem House Church. We did that about six years ago before then. We were on staff at the Cincinnati Vineyard, and that's a large church in Cincinnati. And then uh, I have two daughters. My husband Dave's over there. Those two daughters are at home by choice of ours. Uh, Ella is about to enter her senior year, and Addie is about to start her freshman year on Tuesday. So they're at home with doing all the things, right? Uh, I know that I am stepping into a series that you guys are already doing on the Psalms, and I was lucky enough to get Psalms 91. So here's what I want to do. I want to read that to you, and then I sort of just want to point out three things that I felt like were pretty much highlighted uh, as I was looking through it earlier last week. So in Psalm 91, it says this, Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare, from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say the Lord is my refuge and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near you, come near your tent for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all of your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent because he loves me, says the Lord. I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Okay, so if we're going to dig into that, in order to break this up, I don't always travel with an umbrella, just in case you're wondering. Um, in order to break this up, what I want to do is teach you an illustration. So I'm a discipleship pastor in Westchester, and what, one of the ways that we set up our discipleship is using an umbrella. I'm, I promise this is going to make sense in a minute. So when I look at Psalm 91, I see three things right off the bat. I see God's presence, God's protection, and God's promise. So when we talk about the presence of God, it kind of works like this. Uh, this represents God's presence. So the umbrella represents the paradigms under which I live, right? So this is going to be God's presence today, right? He's an umbrella. Um, that's very limiting to what he actually is. But we're going to use that to represent the presence of God. And I'm going to try to walk you through this. So let's, let's focus on that for a minute. In Luke 17, the Pharisees are talking to Jesus. And they're like, when is the kingdom going to come? And Jesus says, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, here it is or there it is. Because the kingdom of God is in your midst. In Psalm 91, it says, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. So Here's what you have to know. God, the presence of God is kind of like a home, 
right? It's not a physical house that we go to, but it's a spiritual house in which we reside. And so if the presence of God is represented in this umbrella, right? Here's what we know about God. God is Emmanuel. He's God with us. He's always present. He's always working. So there's never a space that you go that the presence of God is not already. So the presence of God is not dependent upon anything we do. You don't actually have to come to this building to be in the presence of God, right? God, there's actually in, at Anthem, there have been worship songs that we have stopped singing because they ask God to come into a space that we believe he already exists, right? We don't have to ask God to show up. We actually need to wake up to the God who was present long before we got here. And so God is wherever you are right now. So your houses, your relationships, your job, wherever you are, the presence of God is already in that space. And it's not, his presence is not determined by how you, what you do in that space, right? That would be very fleeting. That would lack grace. If I had to do something in order to manifest the presence of God, then that's about my power and my will and my way that lacks, that lacks the grace of God. God is present. I have the invitation to be aware of that presence. So the best thing I can think of is... Um, like I, this, this year, my daughter's a senior, my oldest, and on Wednesday, we were getting part one of part 100 of senior pictures. I like, I don't know, when I was a senior, like I went for two hours, I stood in the backyard, they took some pictures, it was over. This is like an all year thing. We got to go in the fall, we got to go in the winter, we got to go in the spring. We got to do college pictures, right? With What? I'm not, I'm not sure what happened, but like it is so overrated. And so I'm at part one of senior pictures. Mind you, I'm at the top of a building in Cincinnati. Okay, I'm not like in a field behind a, a photography place. I drove from the photography place to a building in Cincinnati, paid for parking, and I'm in the top of this building while Ella's getting these pictures taken like she owns Cincinnati. So, sorry, I just needed that for a minute. And it's expensive. So photographer guy's doing his thing. Ella's like loving life, right? She lives in a fake world and where people take pictures on buildings in the middle of the city that they never go to. Uh, and so he's taking her pictures and he's like, mom, can you come here? And I'm thinking like, I paid you so that I can watch. Like, but he's like, I need you to stand right here and shadow her because the sun was hitting her in an awkward spot and you could kind of see it on her face. And I'm like, really? Okay, so I get close enough to Ella to where you can phys physically see the sun no longer make her face look oily or whatever. I'm not even sure what we were trying to do, but like here, here comes the lack of sun because of my shadow. Now I am literally this close to her and I'm thinking, I promise if you get me in this picture, like this is over. And so he's taking these pictures. I'm creating a shadow. So when we think about this, it says... Whoever rests in the shadow of the Almighty. So if God is always present and he's always at work in every situation and space that we're in, then there's always an umbrella there. Now, go with me here, right? God's not really an umbrella, but like that's going to represent that for today. Now, just because I'm in the same room with him doesn't mean that I'm resting in the shadow of his, right? My proximity is determined by the posture that I take in regards to the presence of God. God is always present and at working in every situation, but it's my job 
It's my invitation to respond to his presence. And so I actually have to, on purpose, find, discern the presence of God and posture myself under the presence of him, right? Just because he's in the room doesn't mean that I'm benefiting from the presence of God in the room. And so it's on me to figure out, to determine where he's at. And here's, I had a a young lady, we had a young lady that lived with us for a while. Uh, She's around 20 or so. And she actually, for a season in her life, uh, she was going to this, uh, I'm going to call it a program, and and a live-in program that was going to help uh, teach her things. Is that vague enough for you, right? Okay, she's going to learn things about Jesus, about herself, about how we function as human beings and adults in the real world. And so she left us and she goes into this program and I would get to talk to her on Sundays as her pastor slash fill-in mom because that wasn't something that she had in her life. And so she called me this one particular Sunday and I remember she's telling me like, well, I got in trouble this week. And I'm like, oh yeah, tell me about it. I was sitting around this table and the girls were talking bad about the leaders and, you know, I kind kind of just sat there for a while, but eventually I sort of joined in. So they've called us all down to the office, had lots of conversation with us. And I was like, okay. I was like, well, let, let me just have this conversation with you if that's okay. Do you believe that God is always present and at work? And she's like, yeah. I was like, so you believe that God was in the room that you were in while you were at that table? And she said, yeah. I was like, where do you think he was? And she was like, I don't know. I'm like, that's the problem. I was like, where do you think he wasn't? She was like sitting around that table talking bad about the people that he put in position over me to help me. Like, probably. Like, what could you have done differently in this situation? And what could you do next time you're in this situation? Because here's what I know. We're always going to be around tables where God doesn't want to be, right? Like, there's always going to be situations and circumstances where we're put in in proximity of something that doesn't represent the fruit of the spirit or something that he has called us to do as sons and daughters of the most high God. And so I asked her, like, what could you have done? She's like, well, I guess I could get up and walk around the room and figure out where he is. I'm like, yeah, good answer. I had friends who we have discipled and uh, literally they have physically done that, like been in conversations that the presence of God would not be in and removed themselves from the table and walked around the room like a crazy person until they figured out what the presence of God was doing in the room. Because here's what I know. If he's always present and he's always working, then we always have an invitation to put ourselves in proximity with him and under the umbrella of his presence, we experience protection, which will be in the next one, and promise. So under this umbrella, we get to experience the favor of God. The problem is half the time in our lives, we aren't even aware that the umbrella is in the room and we're not acknowledging the presence of God. God is always active and at work. We don't have to ask him to show up. We have to discipline and dedicate ourselves to noticing the God that is already there. Right? This is how you produce fruit by keeping with repentance, right? Repentance isn't this mourning, this, I mean, it, it sometimes is mourning and sackcloth and ashes and crying and weeping and wailing. There is sometimes that we repent like that. But more times than not, repentance is about changing direction. Like literally, I'm walking this way. I notice the presence of God is walking that way. I stop what I'm doing. I repent. I change my direction and I begin to walk with the presence of God. I begin to reposture myself under 
the umbrella of his authority because under this umbrella, what does it say? All favor, all the things in Psalm 91 are what's, what happens under the umbrella of God's presence. And so then you move into God's protection. And I actually want to read a little bit of Psalm 91 again, but I'm going to read it in the message because the way that they put it is just very pertinent for this situation. So it says this, that's right. He rescues you from hidden traps. He shields you from deadly hazards. His huge outstretched arms protect you. Under them, you're perfectly safe. His arms fend off all harm. Fear nothing, not wild wolves in the night, not flying arrows in the day, not disease that prowls through the darkness, not disaster that erupts at high noon. Even though others will succumb all around you, they'll drop like flies to the right and to the left. No harm will even graze you. You will stand untouched. Watch it all from a distance. Watch the wicked turn into corpses. Yes, because God is your refuge, the high God, your very own home. Evil can't get close to you. Harm can't get through the door. He'll order his angels to guard you wherever you go. If you stumble, they'll catch you. Their job is to keep you from failing. You'll walk unharmed among lions and snakes and kick young lions and serpents to the path. Under the wings of the Almighty, we are safe and secure. Bad things don't have access to us. So here's what you got to hear, right? Because in John, it says, like, you're going to experience hard things. You will have trouble in this world. Look at the life of Jesus. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So you have to go with me here because he's not talking about our physical experience with the world, right? He's talking about our spiritual experience with the world, Right, here's what, if, if God is a home and I dwell with him and my heart is at home dwelling under his shadow, right? My proximity to him is so close that he shadows over me. Here's, here's reality. I don't actually have control of what happens out there. I also don't have control of what happens outside of my body, what happens to me. What I do have control of is what's happening within me. Right? That's how Paul can be stuck in prison and write something that we know as the prison epistles, which are actually the books in the New Testament that talk of what? Peace and hope and joy. Like, where do we go when we're struggling? We go to Paul's writings where he says, listen, you're going to have the peace that surpasses all understanding. He's writing this in the midst of a prison cell. Right? How can he do that? How can he be in chains, fearing for his life, his body beaten and bruised, uncomfortable? He can be desolate out of everything that we would say we need to thrive and survive. And he can be testifying about the goodness of Jesus. The only way that can actually happen is if the presence of God finding home under his presence actually does something in us that the world can't touch that my body can be destroyed, all things can happen to and around me, but what has taken root within me can hold steady and strong, where I can give up my need to understand and be filled with the peace that surpasses all understanding because of the presence of God that lives inside of me. If the kingdom of God is at hand, right? Then it's both here and it's to come. And so here's, here's how this works. We don't ask God to show up. We recognize that he's already here 
And we learn to live a life that produces fruit by joining his presence that already is here. So it's here, but it's also to come. And the kingdom comes more fully as I learn to step into this again and again and again. And my maturity as a believer begins to happen because I start to carry this with me. Right? I start to live postured under this. I stop trying to find all the things that we try to find outside of the presence of God. And I submit and surrender to a life that lives and is postured under the presence of God. And so uh, I remember that I had this conversation with somebody one time. I met this lady at the gym and uh, we started talking, and I, don't, I didn't tell her I was a pastor, but then she must have found out I was a pastor, and then I thought she would never talk to me again, but she talked to me again. And so then she asked me to go to coffee one day. We went to coffee, and we were having this conversation, and, you know, here's what I know. Like, if God is present and at work, if he's in every room that I'm in, then I don't have any accidental conversations, right? The only accidental conversations I have are when I'm not aware of the presence and what God might be doing in that space. And so I was paying attention. And in our conversation, she kept saying things like, well, I, I know that I should get back to church. And when, when I get back to church, when my son plays travel baseball, and I mean, it just was over and it was excessive. And I was like, can I, can I ask you something? And she's like, yeah, and I'll teach you something really quickly. I'm going to be careful when I say this. At Anthem, one of the ways that we learn about, so God is always present and at work, and he meets us in our reality. So he meets us in the place where we actually are. And so when somebody is saying, well, I should do this, well, I, I, I wish I would have done this, or only if I could have been there, I'm all, this is what we say at Anthem. You got to be really careful when you say this. I'm going to be really careful when I say this because I don't want you to misunderstand me. You need to stop shooting all over yourself, okay? Right? Because here's what you have to understand. God doesn't show up in the should-ofs, the could-ofs, or the would-ofs. He shows up in the reality. And so he's not worried about what you could have done. He's not focused on what you should have done. He's not wondering what you would have done. He's, one, he's right present in what you actually did. The presence of God exists in the actual part of your life, the real part of your life. So the ugly, the loud, the messy, the chaotic, it's never, he's never standing back here like, well, if you just would have. Why? Because number one, he gave his son so that you didn't have to would have, could have, or should have. And to him, that was a really significant sacrifice, right? Like, it cost him everything. And it was really hard for me to understand this until I had kids. But what I realized is this, that sacrifice was enough. I didn't need someone other than Jesus to figure out what I would have, could have, or should have done. Like, his death was enough. And so now I can approach the presence of God even when I could have, would have, or should have done something other than what I did. And so I'm sitting there with my friend, my new friend, and she's just shooting all over herself. And here's what I know. When we should all over ourselves, we are in chains and we're actually unable. We're putting distance between us and the one thing that cleans us. The one thing that sets us free is over there. And every time we should on ourselves or on someone else, which I don't recommend that either, 
we put another step between us and the one who actually sets us free. And so I was like, hey, can I just ask you something? Like, do you believe that, the, that God is always present and at work? And she's like, yeah, I think so. I'm like, okay, well, so you go to the baseball field on Sunday morning every week. You stay for hours. Do you believe that God goes to the baseball field on Sunday morning? Yes, I do, I guess. Never really thought about it like that. It's like, that's the problem. We have contextually said that we have to show up now. This is not permission not to come to church. <laughs> David's going to be like, Kristen is never coming back again. So you got to hear me. I'm, I'm going to trust you guys to not get me in trouble for saying this, okay? We have limited the presence of God when we think that we have to drive to a building to experience him fully. Her son was in travel baseball. Here's what I know as a mom and a daughter that plays travel soccer and another daughter that dances all over the world and does, I don't do dance, so I don't really know. I just drive around and just hand her makeup, whatever. Um, here's what I know. There is the presence of God and a significant ministry that happens outside of this, the building that we call church. I can do things on the soccer field and talk to people and make disciples and build relationships and represent the good news of Jesus at the soccer field in ways that I never get to as a pastor. That day sitting with her at that table, we had church. And she thought she didn't go to church because her son played travel baseball. And what I was able to, what I was able to communicate to her was, listen, I'm not giving you permission not to find a family to be a part of because I believe that the church in the New Testament looked like family and I believe that you have to be a part of a family. We are mothers and fathers raising sons and daughters to become mothers and fathers and that is what discipleship looks like in the kingdom. I'm not giving you permission not to be connected to people. But I don't think God's waiting for you to go to a building so that you can encounter and experience him. I think we can experience him right now if we recognize that his presence is here right in the middle of this restaurant and that he's working, he's not shaming you, he's not guilting you, he's not standing back on the other side of the room waiting for you to figure out how to get yourself to a seat in a church. Because quite frankly, you can go sit in a seat at church and miss out on the experience of God all the well. And so we had this significant conversation. You know what, you know what I did? I didn't do anything fancy. I, I set her free. Because here's what she was doing, which so many people I know are doing. If I could just get this together, if I could just get my schedule in order, if I could just figure out how to get to a building, if I could just stop this, if I, if I could just start that, then I'll be in the presence of God. I don't know about you, but saying that so clearly lacks the grace of God. Nothing that I ever do will put me in the shadow of the Almighty. What he has already done invites me to pick it up and submit myself underneath it. And so God's protection for me doesn't come in what I should have, could have, or would have done. It comes in my surrender to what he's already done. He's already done this. Right? He understands. He is not standing back waiting for us to get it together. He's standing here waiting for us to realize he holds it all together. And if we submit and surrender to his presence, we actually can benefit from the protection of his favor. Nobody can destroy my soul when it's held by the Almighty. So whatever happens to me, happens to me. If I'm standing under the presence of God, I'm hidden 
He is my shelter. He is my refuge. Then my soul is at home. And I have what? I have the peace that surpasses all understanding. I have all of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Anything external can happen, and I am not robbed of the internal that is developing within me, right? And so we see the beginning of the spiritual disciplines. We see the beginning of the spiritual maturity. I mature as I learn to stay postured under his presence when life gets hard, right? Because here, it's easy to hold an umbrella up when it's not storming. But what I know about an umbrella is an umbrella doesn't actually stop the rain. I don't put the umbrella up and the rain's like, well, I guess we're not going to get her. We should probably go. The rain keeps coming and sometimes it comes sideways and sometimes I have to reposition my umbrella and other times, right? Have you ever tried to like text while you're holding an umbrella and a coffee under your arm and a purse on your back and the wind is blowing and you're like, this is not effective. You all know you've done it, right? We look like fools. But like, here's the thing. In the presence of God, Postured under the presence of God, I have the protection of God, and I have the invitation to begin to build up the spiritual muscle masses, the spiritual muscle mass that will maintain, enable me to maintain a posture under this, no matter how hard the wind blows. Right? As a mom, I have daughters. I hold the umbrella over them. At some point in time, I have to give them the chance to pick up their own umbrella and to begin to walk on their own. No parent ever says, gosh, I really hope my kids stay at my house for the rest of their lives. I hope they never get a job and never have to go to the store and buy their own food and pay for Chick-fil-A every day. Nobody ever says that. I actually told Ella the other day, I hope you're poor. That's a terrible thing to say. Don't say that, but I'm just like, you have no idea. You have no idea, Ella. And so like we all, what do we hope? We hope that our children leave the house. And the, God is a father. And his plans for us as sons and daughters is for us to ultimately become mothers and fathers, right? He hopes that we inherit the kingdom in such a way that we can leave the house and our umbrella goes with us. That we don't have to come into this space where there are people who hold umbrellas over your head that we mature enough to recognize God is always present and at work. And I actually have an invitation to recognize and respond to him more out there than I do in here. And so we have God's presence and we have his protection and then we have his promise. And in Isaiah 43, it says this, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze for I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel. Israel. The promises of God work in our lives as we operate under the umbrella. Here's how this works. The best way I think I can explain this is being a parent. So I go shopping and I buy clothes for myself and I put them in my closet. And then all of a sudden I realize that those, I don't own those clothes. Ella and Addie own those clothes. They help themselves and they look better on them. So it makes me angry. And then I go shopping and I buy clothes for Ella and Addie, and they put them in their closet. And guess what? Somehow they own those clothes. I don't have access or permission to them. Isn't that interesting how that works? And Dave and I, we have a boat. Well, here's what I know. My kids did not pay for the boat. 
They do not pay for the gas that goes in the boat. I don't even know if they know where the gas goes in the boat. The only time they even acknowledge that the boat takes gas is when we sit too long at the gas station to fill up the boat and they want to go to the lake. They sometimes clean the boat, but even when they clean the boat, it's, you know, it's still, it could be better, right? But if I overhear them talking to their friends, do you know what they say? Hey, do you want to go out on my boat this weekend? I'm like, wait a minute. Like, how does what I have work as yours? Like, what kind, what, kind of, what kind of gig is this? But right, like, they're a part of my family. We worked to buy the boat. We sacrificed to buy the boat. We sacrifice and pay for the gas in the boat. My kids are living their best life, right? I'm, Dave's driving the boat. I'm getting the surfboards out. I'm hooking up the ropes. I'm making sure everybody has the life jackets. Like, they're just fighting over the playlist, Right? They're living their best life, but you gotta look at this in the context of the kingdom. You have a dad who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, who has called you his, who has given you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, full access to all that he has. He is not greedy. He withholds no good thing from you. He has an inheritance that goes so deep you'll never get to the end of it. But what it will cost you is this. It will cost you a life under the presence of God. It will cost you whatever it takes to keep you in proximity with him. Our choice. Our choice. My kids have access to my closet. They have access to our boat. They have access. They will never knock before they walk in because they live aware of who they are with me. You think, take, take the story of the prodigal. I want to say this really quickly before we finish. have got two brothers here. One of them says, oh, listen, I just want my inheritance. I don't want relationship. I just want everything that you have for me. And so God, the father gives him everything that is his, and he, he leaves. He puts himself so far from the proximity of the presence of his father that he begins to get rid of his money. He begins to spend all that he had. And here's what happens. The further away we get from the presence of God, the, the less abundant our lives become. Suddenly what he's sowing doesn't produce fruit. The very money that was fruitful over here in his inheritance is not coming back profitable. He runs out of everything he has. And then we have another brother who literally says, I'm going to live in my father's kingdom but I'm gonna stay out here and I'm gonna work and I'm gonna try to earn what he has for me. I'm not interested in picking that up, right? And we know that because the, the older son, when the brother comes back, he's like, well, you never did this for me. And the father's like, well, I had it for you all the while. All you had to do was walk in the door and ask. So we've got two different responses to the proximity of relationship with this father. One person who wants to earn it and who wants to feel good about what he did to contribute to the wealth and the abundance of the father. And the other son who wants to go and use his abundance to do whatever he feels in the moment and put so much distance between that relationship. And, and here's what happens. This brother, he gets hungry and he realizes, gosh, at least under the presence of my father, I had food to eat. He doesn't come home 
because of any other thing other than that he needed a practical need to be met. He needed to be protected, right? He needed to be in proximity with his father to experience that protection. And so he comes home and his repentance puts him back in proximity with the father. It doesn't make sense to the older brother. Why? Because the older brother has been present in the room, but not taken advantage of the proximity of the father the whole time. Both brothers were missing out on the same thing. The only difference in the end was one repostured themselves under the presence, and we don't know what happened to the other one. And so it really doesn't matter why you are where you are or what you would have, could have, or should have done, or what matters is how you have postured yourself. So I'm going to teach you something really quickly that we do at Anthem in our discipleship content. Like our, our paradigms are the umbrellas, right? These are, these are what we see. This is what I know to be true in my head. Let me just give you a few. I know that God likes me. I know that he wants to be with me. I know that he's always present and at work. I know that he cares about everything that I care about more than I actually care about it. I know that he's a father. He's a good father. I know he has good things for me, right? I know that this is not about my behavior management, that this life is about my heart transformation. So these are paradigms that I believe. Here's what you have to know. I can say God is always present and at work. I can say God cares about my girls more than I care about my girls. I can say that I believe that and not posture myself under it all at the same time. And the evidence that I'm not postured under the presence of God is in the lack of fruit that I'm experiencing from his kingdom. So when I'm anxious and chaotic and stressed out, when it doesn't feel like the kingdom has come inside of my being in regards to my daughters or my marriage or my future or my finances, right? Then I can recognize I'm not postured under the presence of God. I might say that I believe something, but I'm not surrendered to living under that. And my temptation is to go do something differently. Go read a book, go have a conversation, go to church, listen to a podcast. None of those things are wrong. My invitation, however, is in repentance. I have to repent and reposture myself under his grace and then go do something. It's paradigm posture, practice presence. Practice, spiritual disciplines don't actually posture us under the presence of God. They help us maintain a posture under the presence of God. Nothing you do will put you in proximity with him other than repentance. You cannot earn your way into something that Jesus died to freely give you. And so here's, here's how I want to end this. The band's going to come up and play a, a song. And I just want to, um, I want you to think about where you are in proximity to the presence. Where do you need more of, of Jesus? Where you need more of the Father? Where you do need to experience him? And here's, here's the thing. He's not not there. You're not not experiencing him because he's moved. He's in the room. Whatever room you're picturing right now, he's already in there. And the invitation for you is the same invitation that Bree had that day. Will you figure out where he is? And would you just reposture yourself under him? After that, we'll take care of it after that. The most important thing you can ever do 
is posture yourself under the presence of Jesus because under that presence comes all of your protection and all of his promises for your future. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, just thank you so much for your presence. I thank you that your presence is not based upon anything that we do or don't do. I thank you that you are consistent, you are steady, you never leave us, you never forsake us, you always stand there waiting for us. Would you enable us to honor you now with our response to your presence? Father, speak to us. Draw us in. Hold us close. It's in your name we pray. Amen.